uh, several occasions in Psalm 37. And I guess the reason it's one of my passages is because it really challenges my heart. It's a very simple passage. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. And that challenge to delight yourself in the Lord, to um, indulge yourself in the Lord, to um, focus your affection on the Lord, and to seek him is a challenge because um, we, we, I don't just naturally, all of a sudden, <coughs> just enjoy praying and reading my Bible and everything just by itself. We kind of have to, that has to be a byproduct of the pursuit of my heart. And it's, it's really a, a very, very important topic, um, I think, because it, after we give our lives to the Lord, after we, we come to him, we find that we do desire to be with him, but yet at the same time, there are a lot of distractions, a lot of other things that seem to demand time and focus and our attention and stuff like that. And uh, they are, they, they vow, buy for attention to take our attention away. So there's that balance, there's that struggle, there's that tension in our life, it's in mine, and I'm sure it's in yours as well. And balancing that and seeing that tension, uh, I would direct your attention to Luke 14, which is another passage that I look at quite frequently. When I've quoted it, I think I quoted some of it today, this morning. But here is Luke 14, 25. It begins with Jesus uh, being followed by a large group of people, large, large followers. And uh, this is, I guess, would be the dream of a preacher or profit to have a large following to have a lot of people that are interested in him <clears throat> wanting to follow him wanting to hear what he has to say and that was the case with Jesus but instead of doing everything he can to just get them to come and say you know follow me um, put your name on the line put my shirt on to come what would you refer to as the Jesus camp be part of that or uh, seek him. He seems to try to thin out the crowd. And he does that a lot of times. He does that, did that with the rich young ruler. Uh, he did that in John 4 uh, and 5. His followers, where there are people following him, believers that he turned and uh, didn't commit himself to them. But he does that here. There were large crowds going along with him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me, and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That, in my thinking, is an extremely serious call. And um, it's, a, it's a command, a, a standard, a bar that has been set so high. <clears throat> and frankly, I think <clears throat> most people are turned off by it. That's what Jesus seemed to infer here. If people would hear that, <clears throat> they would turn and kind of go the other way. Because this is, a, this is telling us to turn our back on some things that are, at least at, at the beginning, to, things that are 
really pretty important to us. When he talks about hating mother, father, wife, and sister, and brothers, and stuff like that, and uh, I don't think he's actually, in fact, I know he's not saying literally that you to hate your parents or to hate your wife or hate your children, but rather he's using the kind of illustration that was used in Luke 16, where in Luke 16, Jesus gave the illustration of a master and slave, and he said, no servant or slave can serve two masters. They think about that. In that culture, there were a lot of slaves running around. In fact, uh, I have heard that there were more slaves in the Roman in the Roman city of Rome than there were masters, that uh, a lot of people were slaves. It was very common to have many slaves. Many of the slaves were more educated than their masters. So if you can you own somebody, you can send them off, have them educated, and use their knowledge and stuff to do the things, and you can just sit back with your money and enjoy the work of other people. But anyway, in that culture where you have a master-slave relationship, he's saying no slave can have two masters. You cannot serve two masters. And then he uses the, the illustration or the, the, the grammatical application. He said he's going to either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. And I think that phrase, um, hate the one and love the other, is the same kind of thing he's talking about here in Luke, being devoted to the Lord more than I'm devoted to my wife and myself, my sisters, my brother, even my own life. And so that is a, do you understand what I'm saying? That's a pretty heavy calling. That's a pretty high standard. Put Jesus before my family and my brothers and even my own life. And further on down, he talks about um, no one can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. And again, I don't know that he's saying that we should go out and simply divest our estate like the father of the prodigal son did and give the money to his son, but rather that he's saying that we have two masters and we cannot serve the master of money or possessions and also the master of the universe. We can't serve both of those together. We're going to have to choose which one we serve. That's a serious challenge to me. And uh, it's not a challenge that I feel like that I have mastered, but it's a challenge that I think is important when in the scriptures it talks about Jesus says things like First uh, Corinthians sixteen twenty two: If anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be a curse. And I think that phrase "love the Lord" is not saying if anyone does not have an emotional attraction to the Lord, but rather if anyone does not pursue the Lord. That's the idea of love, is to pursue and to serve, to seek, to provide for that relationship. If anyone does not seek after and provide for that relationship with the Lord, he's to be a curse. He said in John 14, 15, if you do not love me, if you do not seek and provide for that relationship, uh, if you love me, he says, you will keep my commandments. If you're seeking to please me, you'll keep my commandments. If you want to follow me, you'll keep my commandments. You see what I'm saying? That's that's kind of what he's talking about. John, 1 John 5, uh, which is uh, another one of my favorite books. John, 1 John talks about the things that uh, identify real faith. And he says, whoever, does, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, 
Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. If we seek, if we provide for, if we pursue that relationship with God the Father, we are going to also provide for the care of and love those children that are his, his children, his followers. If we love him, we're going to love each other. If we don't love each other, it's a sign that we really don't love him. It's an indication that we really are not seeking to please him, not really seeking to follow him. John 14, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. That is, who is the one who is seeking to please me, who is following me. And he who seeks me, who loves me, will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and disclose myself to him. Disclose myself to him. Reveal myself to him. That verse again, um, he who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose or reveal myself to him. So tonight, we are here gathered, we are assembled in this room, and uh, we love the Savior. We seek to please him, we seek to follow him, and uh, he reveals himself to us in his word, and uh, as we grow, his spirit works in our lives and helps us to walk with him and please him. And so as we share, like we would, that's what this is, it's a meal, it's a feast, it's a love feast, but as we are sharing together around him, the elements are simply the physical indication of partaking of him that um, we share with one another and the things that God lays on our hearts, <clears throat> the things that he has shown us, the things that we have to share about this. I mean, if we love him, we have all kinds of overflowing thoughts and relationship, relational issues that we talk about that mean a lot to us because of him and the love he's given to us. So tonight, we come together to fellowship around him and to remember him, to focus on him. We're a small group, but that's okay because uh, he's just, we're two or three of us together there. We can fellowship together around him. Uh, he's made that clear in the scripture. So I'm going to open in prayer. And by the way, Pete, you and, you and I are going to do the elements. I'm going to open in prayer, but I'm not going to close it. And I'm going to sit down. And anybody that wants to pray, and pray, and then Rick, if you don't mind closing that time. Father, we thank you so much for your love for us. These are heavy words. It's hard because we are, I am accustomed to thinking about love in the way of an emotional reality and emotion sometimes. There are times, even when with my wife, when I wasn't overflowing with emotional effects for her necessarily, but yet at the same time, we always made room for that relationship, providing for that relationship and caring for each other and doing good for each other because that is the real meaning of love. It's not just how you feel, it's what you do. It's expressed in your actions and your life. That is so very important. John 3.16 reminds us that you so love the world that you gave your son to die in our place. That is the ultimate gift, the ultimate sacrifice. I thank you so very much for the relation that we have. 
I thank you for the privilege that I have, and it is a privilege to come to you in prayer. And I've enjoyed that a lot in unusual ways, even at work, where it's been real quiet. <clears throat> and I've had an opportunity just simply to talk to you and to, to just discuss things with you. And it's really, really very, very special. And I just really thank you for that. I thank you. I thank you for putting up with the sluggishness with which I respond to you at times. And, and uh, thank you for, in spite of the many distractions that come across my mind and my heart and my life, that uh, you enable me in very weak ways to um, pursue the things that are in heaven where you are seated at the right hand of the Father rather than the things on earth, seek the things above. And I thank you for bringing those things to my attention and then helping me to do something that is not natural in my flesh, but it is absolutely wonderful in my experience. I thank you for that. And I pray that you'll help us all more and more to love you and to seek you and to please you and to serve you. Thinking of the letter to the church at Ephesus, where they had a lot of good things going for them, but one of the things that they struggled with is lost their first love. Lord, I don't want to do that. I want you to be number one always at every point my life, and I want you to always be number one in our lives here at the church. I want you always to be uh, the focus of affection in our lives. Help us to do that. Help us to, we can't, we can't generate it. That's what it sounds like when I've been talking about it. It sounds like we just kind of generate it. We can't. You have to work. You have to produce. You have to, to speak to our hearts. Your spirit needs to work. Your word needs to be applied, but you will do it. And I ask you to do it and help us to love you more and more and more. Now tonight, Lord, we gathered around these elements, actually around you, and uh, we want to focus on you. I pray that even though there are distractions outside the door, and that we turn on the news, there are a lot of distractions going on in the world, yet nothing has changed in the universe insofar as you're concerned. You are just as much on the throne today as you were at the moment of creation. Uh, you are working just as much now as you have been working when Jesus was walking on the earth. And uh, we haven't, if, if there's anything that's changed that hasn't been you, it's been us. Help us to focus on you and to latch on to that rock that is higher than I, that uh, anchor that is within the veil that will keep us stable. And in the midst of the anguish and the turmoil around us, Help us to be stable because we serve the sovereign of the universe. And as R.C. Sproul comments on several occasions, that uh, there are no rogue molecules in the universe. And I'm thankful for that. And so uh, we come tonight, ask you to bring the things up to our attention that need to be confessed, that are standing between us. We talked this morning about sin, if there are things that we need to be convicted of. Pray that you will quietly convict our hearts of those things that we will quietly confess them to you, and that we will have a very special, very special communion with the Lord tonight around his word, around his person, around the elements, and it will be for his glory.